I'm Katie. I'm Sydney. And this is Something Sick. Well, we have one exciting and kind of funny thing, and that is that we made stickers. Which we will ship to you for free if you send us your address. (laughs) Send us your address. It's not creepy. We just want promo. But these stickers are tiny. (laughs) We really, we overestimated what one inch by three inch is. (laughs) We thought they were going to be like a bumper sticker. I didn't think they were going to be that big. No, I thought they were going to be like a small, but yeah, I did not think they were going to be as small as they are. They're small, but they have our ghost on them mm-hmm. and, our, and something sick on it. Yeah. So if you want one, you can DM us on Instagram or send us an email. And you have to listen to the end to hear it, but you probably already know it. But <laughs> Not that it's in the description if of you this want episode one, or anything. Just in- Send it to us. We'll send it to you for free. Or if you want multiple, we have a hundred of them. We have so many. And so. we're trying to get out that promo. So, And if you're international, I don't know how to send it to you. Oh. But, you know, I'll try. I can't guarantee it. Yeah. But, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. I would love to send it to someone international. I know. But, well, yeah. It's exciting. Pumped. Pumped. We ready to just jump right in? Yes. I am ready. Let's go. What are we talking about? We are talking about... The Velisca Axe Murder House, which for my Oof. whole life, I have not said this correctly. I just always say it like Basilica for some reason. <laughs> like Basilica, but with yeah, a V. Yeah, but with the V. And okay. then I realized like last year I was not saying that correctly. Cool. I was also never, I don't think about this often, I guess. So that's, that's valid. Wouldn't want to. No. This one's kind of a two for one because not only is it haunted, but it's haunted because it had a crime, obviously, by the yeah. name of the house. But <laughs> that's putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a lot. And also this one was way darker than I thought it was going to be. So pretty spooky. Get ready. Yeah. Turn your lights off. Does anyone, if anyone watches, are you scared by Shane and Ryan from BuzzFeed Unsolved on yeah. the Watcher channel. You should because turn off the lights, lock, lock your doors, <laughs> and see if you can make it to the end. We're not that scary. No, this is not that scary. Okay, so the Velisca. I'm gonna be worried that I'm gonna say that wrong <laughs> the whole time. The Velisca Axe Murder House is located at 508 East Second Street in Velisca, Iowa. Wait, I don't know why I always thought this was in California. No, Iowa. Okay. The middle. This place is. A small town, which I'll tell you about in a second. But the home was the site of a brutal massacre of eight people, two adults and six children. So if you don't want to hear, I I do not go, I'm not going into detail like Mm -hmm. of these children really. But if you don't want to hear about that, then I understand. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So clearly you can tell what happened by the name of this house. And there is a sign in front of the house (laughs) for everyone to know exactly what happened there. Yeah. Villisca, Iowa is a very small town. In the 1900s, around the time of the murders, there were about 1,200 people living there, and the population today is still about the same. Okay. So it is tiny. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, oh, it might it might have gone up a little bit. Mm-mm. And if anything, I think maybe it went down, to Okay. Be <laughs> but it's been, somehow in over 100 years, the population has not increased or decreased, really. Wow. But yeah. That's weird. 
So the town itself was given the name Villisca based on a Native American tribe called the Sac and Fox tribe. I don't know much about them, but they had a word that was Willisca, or I don't know exactly if that's how you say it, I'm assuming. But the founders of Villisca thought that the term meant pretty place or pleasant view, when in reality, it actually meant an evil spirit or like place of evil spirits. Because <laughs> So wow. it's like not good. <laughs> way to go. Way to give that name. Wait. <laughs> Like, way to look way into to, the back. Yeah, way to not care about someone's culture and then take it and then really, like, curse yourself. Yeah. So that was not smart. Good. Yeah. Good start. So anyway, I could obviously didn't find much on this town because it's small, but that's all I know. I feel like that was important to yeah. tell you. I don't know. It's interesting. So now I'm going to tell you about the victims of this crime just a little bit. I don't. I couldn't find much on them, but... What so, year was this again? Sorry. 1912. Okay. Which I didn't say yet. I was going to say. Oh, I, I apologize. You're good. <laughs> Jumped ahead. <laughs> no, it's okay. 1912. So the first is, so it was the Moore family and then they had two friends staying the night. And so the dad of the family, Josiah B. Moore, people kept calling him Joe and I was like, I don't know him. So I'm going to call him <laughs> Josiah. Call him Josiah. <laughs> so he was a prominent businessman in the town and had lived in Villisca for 13 years. He married... Sarah Montgomery on December 6th, 1899, and they had four children together, and Josiah was 43 at the time of the murders. Um, Sarah Montgomery Moore is the mom. She was born in 1873 in Illinois, but moved to Iowa in 1894 with her family. She was 39 at the time of the murders, and the mother of four, like I said. She was an active member of the Presbyterian Church that was in town, and she had helped lead the Children's Day event, which was a, like... Sunday school showcase, kind of like the kids had learned songs and stuff and were performing that, which I'll talk about that more. That's important. Okay, she led cool. that on June 9th, 1912, which was the day of the murders. Okay. Um, Sarah's ex-brother-in-law was actually a suspect in the case, Ooh. but he was cleared. I will say that. Also, this case is unsolved, mm -hmm. so we can talk about our opinions. Of the I have an opinion on it. At the <laughs> okay. End, but now we're going to go on to the children. Mm -hmm. So the oldest of the Moore kids was Herman Montgomery Moore. He was born in 1901 and he was 11 at the time of the murders. He was reportedly like a dad's boy, like was always seen really close with Josiah, like didn't want to be away from him. And then the next in their family, there's only one girl. So three boys and one girl. This is Mary Catherine Moore. She was two years younger than Herman and was 10 years old when she died. And she had invited her friends, Lena and Ina Stillinger, to spend the night on June 9th, 1912, which unfortunately led to those two girls being victims as well. Um, the next Moore child is Arthur Boyd, and he was seven at the time of his death. And there's a, really only one photo known of him and his younger brother. Mm -hmm. Like, there's never, no one's ever has ever released another photo of them which is i just thought was interesting i mean it makes sense because photos weren't like and they were little yeah yeah just the pictures are not great yeah They're also very hard to see and then the youngest of the more children was paul vernon moore and he was five at the time of his death which is so sad so the moore family was wealthy and well liked in their Villisca community so like people had a really hard time thinking of who would do yeah. something to them which there are several suspects but it was hard for people to come up with something and then the last two victims were Lena Gertrude Stillinger and Ina May Stillinger and they were sisters obviously they were the daughters of Joseph and Sarah Stillinger and they were born on a farm outside of Villisca but they went to the same church as the Moors and Lena was 12 at the time of her death and Ina was eight 
they had seven other siblings. Yeah. And yeah, I I already said this. They participated in the Children's Day Mm -hmm. thing that the Moore family had on that day. So now going to tell you the crime and like yeah the timeline it's not super detailed because it's yeah 1912, 1912. but it's it's a bit detailed so i've already said spoiler alert it's unsolved we don't know so on june 9th 1912 mary Catherine moore invited lena and ina stillinger to spend the night at her house that night and josiah moore did call to ask for permission for the girl like for them to come over and their sister blanche had answered the phone and said her parents were out but she was like i'm sure they can spend the night like that's fine i'll let my parents know should not be a problem. And so the girls had originally, the Stillinger girls were actually supposed to spend that at their grandma's house, I think, after the Children's Day thing. And then they didn't want to go all the way back to her house by mm-hmm. themselves. And so they're like, yeah, spend the night with us. Yeah. Um, before the sleepover, like I said, they were at a church children's day and sarah was like coordinating a lot of it and it kept calling it exercises but i'm pretty sure it was like reading scripture and putting on play i don't know so that started at 8 p.m that night and then it finished around 9 30 which feels so late it's also this is a sunday night that's late it is really late but but okay i know that's the time it happened and then following the program the moors and the stillinger girls walked back to their house and they got there sometime between 9 45 and 10 p.m no one really knows exactly what time like also no one knows the exact time of death for anyone because most people that they talk to like went or like went to bed like nine (laughs) so they don't know and their house was about three blocks from the church, so not far. Mm-hmm. It's also a t- small town, so I yeah. can't imagine that it is. So then the next morning, June 10th, the Moore's neighbor named Mary Peckham got up and, out- and was outside doing laundry around 5 a.m. And she was out there for a couple hours, like in and out. And then around 7 a.m., she started to notice that the Moore's had not gotten up. None of their outside chores were done. Like their animals were not being fed. And so she was kind of like, that's weird, which makes sense because they have four children and farm animals. Like, yeah. I can't imagine it normally quiet. So. Yeah. Within the next hour, Mary had gone over to their door and was knocking on it, trying to, like, wake them up. Yeah. I think she just thought they had overslept. And she said it was locked from the inside, which I don't think many people did lock their doors a lot because yeah. nothing happens in that small of a town, you know. But she couldn't get in. So being a kind and concerned person, she called his brother, Josiah's brother, Ross Moore. And I think his wife had answered the phone and then sent him over. Yeah. And when Ross got there, he started to like check, like looking in the windows, trying to like knock. I think they just really wanted them to be asleep and like didn't want to like scare them. You don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like knocking and yelling, trying to wake them up. And when they didn't open or didn't come to the door he did have a set of keys and so he like did eventually let himself in and he went in and mary stayed on the front porch she was like i'm not going in there valid and nothing seemed like really out of the ordinary at first and then ross like went in to the first bedroom off of the parlor and that's when he saw two small bodies on the bed with dark stains on their clothes and he didn't go any further he went right back outside and told mary to call the police and those two bodies were the Stillinger girls. Mm-hmm. They were downstairs. And the Moore family members were found in the upstairs bedrooms by Hank Horton, who was the city marshal. And they were all found with their skulls crushed in. It's and always the skull. It was only their skulls. Like, also, I'm going to go into more detail in a minute. But, like, I, it, there's just details about this that are, like, it feels personal. Yeah. It's, like, one, it was with an axe, so that mm-hmm. just feels... I guess there's a lot of murders. Like, what else? What other weapons do you have, really, at that point? Like, do you have on hand? But, yeah. It, the details just make it seem yeah. really personal. So, news of the murders traveled 
very quickly in a town of around a thousand people. I would think so. And the crime scene pretty quickly became really chaotic and around a hundred onlookers and neighbors just went through the house to look at everything. Why would you want to do that? They were curious. It basically was like a museum. You could just walk. Like it took them until like around noon for the National Guard in the area to secure the house. So there was like four, three or four hours where people were just walking in. Nope. And honestly, that whole like week after, I'm pretty sure like people would go in. So it's kind of not great. (laughs) No, thank you. So now I'm going to talk about the crime scene and a little bit about, I guess this is not really testimony yet, but Mary Peckham's like her testimony gives like time of death. Yeah. So no one is exactly sure what happened because no one that was there lived. But based on the testimony of Mary Peckham and doctors checking on the bodies afterwards, they estimate the time of death to be somewhere between midnight and 5 a.m. But I think they said closer to midnight. I don't think it was too much after that. And the presumed murder weapon was an axe that was left at the scene. It was found in the room with the Stillinger girls, and it was bloody and looked like someone had tried to clean it off, but weren't super successful. And it did belong to Josiah Moore, so it was his. Um, every window that had curtains had the curtains closed in the place and windows that didn't have curtains, um, the more family's clothes had been hung on them to like cover them hmm. and all mirrors and glass windows and like in on the doors and stuff, those were all covered with clothes also. So like mirrors. Yeah. That's so this person did not want to look at themselves, which is very interesting. Yeah. That just feels like shame almost. Yeah. But like also how can you have shame? I mean, I'll tell you later who I think did mm-hmm. it but it's just like very interesting um every door was locked which i don't i do think someone said that josiah would often lock from the inside but like would leave the key in the door yeah but like no no keys were found inside mm-hmm. so that's also weird the ceilings in each room had marks on the ceiling like i already said that ceiling they had marks on them from like the upswing of the oh, axe wow. so you could like, like marks of the axe hitting the like, ceiling or blood splatter but i mean okay. you could tell that the axe hit up there when they like swung the axe up okay. and it left marks on the ceiling um there were kerosene lamps found at the feet of the beds in josiah and sarah's room and in the room with the stillinger girls i think they might have been lit but like part of it was like of each of them was like taken off i don't understand how care there was like me neither i don't know it said like the chimney was off but i don't know i don't i don't know ah, yes yes that yes, i know i was the like chimney yeah so i don't know but it was inter- that kind of ties back to something a little later okay. but that was just interesting um a piece of a keychain was found in the first bedroom with lena and ina i don't know much about it but there's a keychain um on the kitchen table was a plate of uneaten food and a pan of bloody water oh like they had tried to like clean off yeah and left it there uh the coroner named dr lindquist lindquist stated that there (laughs) this is the thing that i thought was so there were two four pound slabs of bacon found one on the floor near the axe in the bedroom and then one in the icebox bacon Four pounds slabs of bacon. Multiple. (laughs) And near the axe. That's so strange. Yeah. So, yeah, I listened to the And That's Why We Drink episode, and that's what they they were like, that is so funny, like, strange. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know anyone else. (laughs) Like, it's just like the details of, like, the mirrors were covered, and then there was four pounds of bacon bacon on the floor next to the axe. Yeah, really weird. Interesting. This part isn't really graphic, but it has to do with blood. So it's, I'm not like super graphic with it, but if anyone doesn't like blood. Um, Dr. Lindquist, the coroner, also commented that a shoe of Sarah's was on Josiah's side of the bed and it had blood um, inside and underneath it. So he was thinking that it had been like upright and then 
blood from Josiah had like seeped down into <laughs> that's so gross. Yeah. Like into it and then maybe the killer had knocked it over and more blood got on it went cuz I'll tell you he like hit him a few times got Sarah went back and mm-hmm. like, hit Josiah more so not great. Um there were two used cigarettes in the Morris attic which led to investigators to believe that the killer or killers had waited up there for everyone to fall asleep like patiently mm-hmm. waited for them which is just so creepy. Yeah, that's freaky. Also the attic is the most haunted part of the house mm-hmm. if like i'll talk about it later but it's it's very spooky now we're gonna talk about a little bit about how the victims were found yeah not graphic again but like it's always a little like it's not yeah. pleasant so every victim's face was covered with their sheets and blankets after they were killed mm-hmm. which seems like remorse to me like why would yeah why would you kill them and then cover them up if you didn't feel bad about it all of their heads had between 20 and 30 like had been hit between 20 and 30 times all of them like all of them i couldn't find exacts about each one but i'm pretty sure josiah was the worst josiah was hit with the blade everyone else was hit with the blunt end of the like of the axe i don't know what's worse (laughs) i don't either but i it's just so weird that only josiah was the first one also that makes sense. Yeah. They started in Josiah and Sarah's room. Josiah had the most blows out of everyone. I know that. And his face had been cut, this is gross, so much that his eyes were missing. Oh, God. And the killer had used the blade on him, like I said. And um, then... I wonder if because they only used the blade on him and he was first, it could be like him being a specific target, but I also wonder if they realized like... He's the biggest one. Well, I wonder if they realized, like, maybe the blunt side will work better. Like, if they liked yeah. the blunt side of it better for... I don't killing. know. But, like, know. he hit Josiah, went around the bed to Sarah, used the blunt end, and then went oh. back to Josiah and hit him more. Okay, that's weird. Yeah. So, it's like, that's not cool. <laughs> I don't know. It's not cool. <laughs> that, I don't know. Hey, <laughs> murder? <laughs> that's not cool. That's not cool. <laughs> Let's put on a t-shirt. Hey, murder. <laughs> that's, that's not, not cool. cool. <laughs> but, yeah. So then, this is not funny also. No. Just so we, we, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So then, all of the more children were in the same room upstairs also. I think there were two sharing a bed and two on cots in the room. And the murderer went around to all of them, killed them all, and then went downstairs and attacked the Stillinger girls. Uh, like I said, Lena and Ina were actually found first. Ina, mm-hmm. the younger sister, was found closest to the wall with a gray coat on her face, and Lena was on her right side. A doctor named Dr. F.S. Williams uh, said that Lena was laying as though she had kicked one foot out of her bed sideways with one hand up under the pillow on her right side, halfway sideways, not clear over, but just little, which is confusing. Apparently she had been struck. This is a quote from him. Apparently she had been struck in the head and squirmed down in the bed, perhaps one third of the way. Part of her nightgown was slit like slid up and she didn't have any underwear on. But thankfully though, doctors don't think. Some people thought that she might have been abused or assaulted but Mm -hmm. i think most of them were like there's no reason to think that exactly yeah like maybe just the way that she moved down yeah like maybe it had just slid up yeah um her right knee had a blood there was a blood stain on her right knee and then she also looked like she had defensive wounds on her arms so people think that she's the only one that got to fight back and like yeah do you think the rest like weren't awake yeah i don't think any of them that's crazy i know and like i'll tell i'll say this later like they did. They have a lot of like witness testimonies, which are like not really helpful. Yeah. But like neighbors said, they didn't hear anything. That's I think insane. one person said maybe they heard a noise, but they were like didn't sound like a scream. Yeah. Like I don't think anyone really knew what was happening. 
Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, kids, even if the kids hurt, like the, if the parents were gone, were gone first, they're the only ones I would know to notify the children like yeah. something was wrong. So that's like about how they were found. So I mentioned that Dr. Lindquist, the corn, the coroner, I mentioned him already. He arrived to the crime scene around 9 a.m. and then had met with Hank Horton, the city marshal and Sheriff Orrin Jackson. So once they kind of did a walkthrough once the three of them got there and Dr. Lindquist then called the coroner's jury which is just a group of people that kind of meet to help decide like manner of death if it seems suspicious which this is suspicious yeah i would think so so. (laughs) they they got called in late in the afternoon on june 10th so after people had already walked through the house also (laughs) like a lot of people so i think there are also different tasks that this coroner's jury does but it depends on the county that you're in they actually, once I got there, they actually didn't go through the house for a few more hours. And the undertaker did not have permission to remove the bodies until after 10 p.m. that night. So I just laid in the house all day. Gosh. Um, the fire station had become a temporary morgue. And all eight bodies were not there, though, until about 2 a.m. So it took them a long time yeah. to get all of them there. On June 11, 1912, the coroner's jury met for the inquest, which if no one knows what that is, I didn't really, I don't fully understand it, but it's like a hearing to gather all the information about yeah. the deaths. And they called 14 witnesses to give testimonies. I don't, I have like who they are. I didn't, they were not all help. None of them, I listed yeah. the ones that were more helpful, but not a lot of them are helpful. That's fine. So the first one, Mary Peckham, the neighbor. So hers... Obviously, I'll re- I'll say a little bit about hers because she's the first person there. She testified that she had not seen the Moors before they had left for the church on the evening of the 9th, and she had gone to bed around 8 p.m., so she didn't see them get back either. She also said that she had not heard anything all night from their house. She, like, told them everything from doing her laundry. She told the whole story. Do my laundry. She let their chickens out for them, called the brother, went, like, went over and knocked on the door, talked to Ross's wife. And then she also had called one of Josiah's employees. He owned like a, like a store. He worked with like John Deere, the company. Cool. Yeah. So his his employee, Ed Selly, who I'm going to talk about in a second, he came over to feed the horses and everything. And then Mary had also been the one to call the sheriff and told him all the doors are locked and there's no key. So yeah. then Ed Selly was also called and he's Josiah's employee. And he had been at Josiah's store for work that morning already on the 10th. And Ross Moore, Josiah's brother, called him to ask if he knew where Josiah was. Like, I think they just thought maybe they were gone. Yeah. Mary had also called Ed to see if he was there, Josiah was there, and be like, come help out at their house. And then Ed went over. Ed was really weird. He, like, went over, talked to some, like, talked to the marshal, Hank Horton, would leave, then would, like, talk to Ross and Mary, go home, come back. Like, he just kept going back and forth between the store. And people just, like, kept asking him to bring things. Like, I was like, this guy, poor guy, like, his boss is dead. Like, why are we making it? Why are we? Yeah. They said, uh, your boss is dead. You work for us. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so he said that he had been standing there when Hank Hank Horton, his name is so hard for me to say. That's a good name. Had come back out after like going in and looking at things and had told him that everyone had been killed in every bed and that the house was locked. So Okay, Hank. (laughs) Yeah. So Ed was also asked about if he knew anything of any enemies of Josiah and the only person he mentioned was that he had a brother-in-law that don't like me said he would get even with me sometime so hmm. yeah the brother-in-law doesn't like ed doesn't like josiah sorry oh. so that was a quote from josiah okay. he told him so that to cool ed. yeah so then the next person that was called in as a witness was dr j clark cooper also these people have 
a lot of alliterative names, I yeah. feel like. Not really. This is like the second one, but... A lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, he was the first physician to get to the crime scene, and which I guess is different than the coroner. So. And then he had entered the home with Hank Horton, a Dr. Huff, and a minister, Mr. Ewing, which he's never mentioned again. So Cool. Uh, he also testified, Dr. Cooper testified that he could not identify who anyone was when they first looked at the people. Like, obviously yeah. not. If you don't, especially if you don't know, like, the two girls that were spending the night, if you weren't 100% sure. Yeah. Like, I think that's who he had really trouble identifying. And then he didn't touch any of the bodies. He was like, that's not my job. <laughs> And so I have a quote from him about the bodies, which is a little gross. So skip ahead a few seconds if you don't want to hear this. But uh, he said, the bedding was pretty stiff at the head and the blood in the brains on the pillow had had contracted as it does when killed. Well, dry so that it was like perfect jelly at the time and the blood clots clots were dry. So that was his quote. And he said- like the use of the word jelly. Jelly. I know. That was what made me feel gross. Uh, he said that because of how the brain and ma- brain matter and blood were, he said that that would make him estimate that they had been dead for like five or six hours, which. Okay. So sometime between midnight, 5 a.m. I mean, I think, I don't think there's a consensus on yeah. what time it actually happened. It's 1912. We don't have. I did read something on the website that was like, if the te- if the technology and like DNA and everything that we have now, if we had all of that back then, this would be solved. That makes sense. But yeah. We don't have any of that, so they didn't have any of that, so that's unfortunate, but Mm -hmm. they would have been able to figure all this out. Uh, Dr. Cooper also said that he didn't smell anything unusual, which I'm like, dead dead bodies smell unusual. Bacon on the floor. (laughs) But he also said that it looked like the faces had been covered after they had been killed, Mm -hmm. so... He kind of confirmed like the clothes. Oh, he has a quote. I forgot to write it down. I saw no clothes sticking into any of the wounds in my superficial examinations. Neither did I see any clothing that had any holes in it. I mean, any of the sheets or pillows, nothing had a hole in it. So, which is, that does help. Yeah. That's, I feel like with motive and everything. So the next person that was called in as a witness was Jesse Moore, who was Ross's wife. So Josiah's sister-in-law. She, the only thing that she really said that was of note that I feel like was saying that she actually had gone back into their house later that day to get family pictures for the press, Mm. which I can't imagine having that Mm -mm. job. Nope. But she did that. And then Dr. F.S. Williams, who I mentioned had quoted during, like had explained like how the Stillinger girls were found. Mm Mm-hmm. He had he was a physician that actually examined the bodies and he testified with a lot more detail about how people were found and talked about the blood everywhere and he the one thing that he noted that it wasn't super graphic was that there was a lot of clothing scattered everywhere like literally this person had opened drawers thrown clothes out hung it up everywhere like yeah I mean that makes sense if they're hanging their clothes on yeah. the windows and it's stuff just and all over which that goes into the hauntings which is just crazy Ooh. but yeah so then he also dr williams also said that he did not see any signs of sexual assault on any of them which Good. made me have a big sigh of relief yeah. i was like it's already terrible and that would be even worse before being excused dr williams also stated that he didn't see any footprints around the scene of the crime which is which makes sense it's june so i don't know why you would think I mean, I guess like bloody footprints. Yeah, but, but there were not any. And I think, though, that's kind of impressive. If there's none like in the house, you yeah. know, like if you just murdered eight people, you'd yeah. think you would get some blood on yeah, you. Yeah, and you think you would maybe see part of a bloody handprint. Or so, yeah. Not that that would help you with a bloody handprint because you don't have DNA. Yeah, but And like still. fingerprint 
actually, I guess they do have fingerprints some places, but so that's Dr. Williams. And then I have a list of the other people that testified, but I didn't really write anything down because none of them had any details that were helpful, but they had Ross Moore. They had Ross Moore, Fenwick Moore, Harry Moore, and Charles Moore, who are all Her- Josiah's brothers. Yeah. They didn't give any, we already like know Ross's story. He didn't have any story beyond Mm -hmm. showing up and finding them. Um, Josiah's nephew, Lee Van Gilder, testified as well. Um, Joseph and Blanche Stillinger, the the dad and sister of the girls, they were witnesses alongside Marshall Hank Horton and neighbor Edward Landers, who he said that he didn't hear anything really. And so they were all pretty vague, but I think there might have been more. I don't think that was 14 people, but yeah. So then now I just have suspects. So I'm going to tell you about those suspects and then we can talk about who we think did it. Great. And then talk about the hauntings. And we can place blame on these people because I'm assuming none of them are alive. (laughs) Oh yeah. They're all dead. Yeah. 1912. Well, yeah. (laughs) And whoever did this, whoever did this is haunting the house in my opinion. Maybe there was a baby (laughs) that was involved. I don't know. (laughs) The youngest kid was five and I don't think a baby murdered a grown man. (laughs) But yeah. Okay. So the first person I have, Sam Moyer, who was Josiah's brother-in-law. Ex- I don't even know. Um, but people knew they had issues. <laughs> I don't have much on him. All I could see was that he had an alibi, an alibi that cleared him. Mm-hmm. So I think, that, I mean, obviously that's only lead they really had at first, but I just had to say that, but I don't have any more details on him. So then another person is Henry Lee Moore, who is not related to them. Okay. <laughs> just a different guy. But he is a suspected serial killer who throughout, I think, like the Midwest, like in like Colorado, I think mostly. Mm-hmm. But he was convicted of killing his mom and grandma with an axe a few months after the Villisca murders. Okay. So I think he's still like on the list of suspects, honestly. But I don't think I saw any specific evidence that linked him to this crime. Yeah. So it's just the fact that he likes killing people. Yeah. With an they axe. couldn't like, there's a lot of these people. I feel like, I don't know, just feels sketchy. But yeah. yeah, so those are two that are kind of like, I don't have a lot. There was, obviously there's more info about Henry Lee Moore's like other crimes yeah, that people but, think, but I didn't want to write all of that down. So next is actually someone who is, he's a, he was like top of the suspect list, but people thought he actually hired someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. And he was a resident of Villisca and an Iowa state senator. <laughs> named Frank F. Jones. And for several years, Josiah had actually worked for Frank. And eventually, Josiah left his store and had taken the partnership with John Deere away from Frank Jones. Okay. So people were like, he's pretty jealous. And there's also a rumor that Josiah had an affair with Frank's daughter-in-law, Donna. (laughs) So, which I don't think there's ever evidence of that. But people were like, those are two motives right there. Yeah. And so an investigator named Detective James Newton Wilkerson, um, who worked, who was actually from an agency in Kansas City. That's where I'm from. I don't live there anymore. (laughs) But uh, he was very invested in this case for some reason. But he alleged that Frank and his son Albert hired a man named William Mansfield to kill Josiah. But neither Frank nor Albert were ever arrested for the crime, and they always denied any connection to it till they died. So, but now I'm going to tell you about William. I don't like his. This guy's white, first of all, but his nickname was. Blackie, and I'm never going to call him that again. No. But I want you to know that this is a white man, thankfully. I don't want someone to call a black person. No. But William Mansfield, but that, it says that all over. 
the website about like that's what they call him no William Mansfield is the guy that people thought Frank Jones hired and he was from Blue Island Illinois and was the prime suspect of Detective Wilkerson and I wrote down this guy I just called him Detective W a lot because I didn't want I knew I was going to get (laughs) tongue-tied but he that detective is pretty confident in his story he was like this is what happened so William Mansfield had apparently had a couple other names that he was known by, which included George Worley, which now that I am reading that, that is weird to me. And I will tell you later why the last name Worley, that comes back later and I didn't put that together until right now. (laughs) Okay. But George Worley and Jack Turnbaugh. Turnbaugh? Turnbaugh. Okay. I don't know why these names were written down. I'm happy that other one was though because that's really creepy. I'll say that later. Detective Wilkerson claimed that William Mansfield was a cocaine addict. Crack cocaine. And a serial killer. You have to clarify why you just said <laughs> it We like, like that. New Girl, and that's how Schmidt from New Girl Crack said cocaine. <laughs> anyway, he said that William was a cocaine addict and a serial killer. That has never been proven. Okay. <laughs> but just wild this is why he thought it. This is okay. why he thought it. So there had been axe murders in Payola, Kansas. I know where that is. We know someone that had a restaurant. Um, four days before the Velisca murders. And then two women in Aurora, Colorado had also been killed a few days before. And then Detective W's wife, baby, mother-in-law, and father-in-law had been murdered with an axe on July 5th, 1914. So two years later in Blue Island, Illinois, where William Mansfield was from. So like, I think he came up, he came, definitely came up with this theory years later. Yeah. But they were killed. His family was killed with an axe. And he was like, this guy did it. (laughs) That's so sad. Yeah. So if if that were true, I mean, this is the only, this is one of the two guys. This guy and the next guy are the only two that I could like actually see doing this. But I don't know. It's, that would seem like, oh, he's on my tail. I'm going to get his family. Like, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. His Wilkerson's, Detective Wilkerson's investigation claimed that all the murders were carried out in the exact same way with victims being murdered with an axe. The mirrors were all covered. Yeah. A lamp was left at the end of the beds and bloody wash pans were left in the kitchen each time. Okay. there were no fingerprints found anywhere, which he said because the murderer wore gloves and William Mansfield had fingerprints on file in Leavenworth, Kansas at a federal prison. So he's like, he knew. So he wasn't going to get his fingerprints caught. Okay. Like that was his theory. So in 1916, Detective Wilkerson was able to persuade a grand jury to open an investigation into Mansfield and he was arrested. To Wilkerson's surprise, William Mansfield actually had an alibi based on payroll records that placed him in Illinois when the Velisca murders happened. So Mm. as an alibi, with that alibi, he was released and won a lawsuit against Wilkerson and got $2,225, which today is around $55,000. I was going to say, that sounds like a lot in today's yeah it is so he was cleared of that okay but this i think definitely i i think well, it's probably a serial killer. i was gonna say it's yeah. it might not be linked to him but they have to be connected with yeah. all of those things are the same yeah so weird i also before i go into the last guy who i'll just say i think the last guy i had i assumed I think you were saving him. yours for but last i realized i didn't write this guy down there is, and I'm only going to say it because it kind of, there's something from Ghost Adventures that they said connected this guy, mm-hmm. but there was a, um, a homeless man in town who people suspected and said that he had like gone crazy and like killed them. And his name was like Andy Sawyer or something like that. But, and I saw his name written down, 
but there was nothing that actually connected him and they made it sound like this guy like they're like he went insane but i'm like this does not sound like like this sounds like someone did go a little crazy but this person also planned that like yeah had a system of doing this and i don't think and that just sounds like villainization of someone that's homeless yes. like, so i was like i don't really want to look into that yeah. i don't i don't think i think this last guy which is just wait till you hear his name oh gosh reverend <laughs> george jacqueline kelly reverend is yeah. his name reverend <laughs> no but he's okay. a reverend okay which is kind of worse yeah he's a reverend so george kelly was a traveling preacher throughout the midwest which traveling all of, traveling yeah. all through the midwest for all of these things are happening and that's that's also why part of this i i just think that gives him plenty of reason yeah. moving around and he and his wife had recently ended up in macedonia iowa in 1912, which is about 40 miles from Velisca. Looked it up on a map because I wanted to know. Nice. <laughs> um, when he was younger, he suffered a mental breakdown. He also had a reputation for odd and honest. It said odd, but honestly disgusting behavior. He was pretty much known as a peeping Tom. And I love when they call those things odd. <laughs> odd. That's not odd. No, it's gross. Yeah, it's, uh, it's disgusting. Illegal. <laughs> yeah. Um, later on in 1914, he was convicted of sending obscene materials in the mail to young girls and even spent time in a mental hospital in, in that year, 1914. So Reverend Kelly had actually been invited to the Children's Day program on June 9th, and he left really early in the morning around 5.20 a.m. on June 10th, which I just think, I'm like, he's there for the exact time that this happened. Yeah. Like... And for the program that was run by... And no one is watching him. So if someone was waiting in their attic, who knows? I mean, like, the only thing I would say is how does he know where they live if they were waiting in the attic? Like... Yeah. But I'm also like, who knows? I think he could have, like, fall, like somehow snuck in. They had six children with them. Who yeah. knows? What, I don't know. I just think this guy... I think he did it. So that morning when he left on June 10th at 520, he was taking a train out of Villisca and he allegedly told people around him that there were eight dead souls back in Villisca butchered in their beds while they slept, even though their bodies had not been found yet. So I don't know if that's 100% true, but I think multiple people said he did that. <laughs> also, it's very obscure. Like, why would you just randomly decide to say this about someone? Yeah, what's the context? Yeah. Like, imagine how horrified you would feel if some reverend sitting next to you <laughs> on the train just said... five in the said, morning. So there's uh, eight, eight dead, dead souls, souls back there. Butchered what? in their beds. I would say, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> five in the morning. <laughs> no. So, yeah. So George Kelly even came back to Velisca two weeks later impersonated a detective to join a tour of the Moore house with a group of investigators. <laughs> he really inserted himself yeah, into this. Yeah, and he wanted to be close to the crime yes. scene. And, and authorities first really started looking at him as a suspect a few weeks later after people had been telling them about his ramblings. And he also himself, Kelly, wrote letters to the police, other investigators, and family of the deceased. Like, he was, like, writing them letters about these crimes. Like, and I think he said stuff that no one else would probably know yeah but so he was arrested and not until 1917 he got arrested in 1917 he was charged with the murder of lena stillinger only i don't know why just her but interesting yeah so that summer of 1917 he was interrogated the whole time like they were constantly interrogating him and then august 31st 1917 at 7 a.m reverend kelly signed a confession of the murder and said that god had told him suffer the children to come unto me which this whole thing i'm just like that could feel i don't know something about because i really believe some of this haunting feels very 
demonic kind of and i'm like yeah some of the things that i'll tell you like everything about it, i'm just like this guy could have been messing with some bad stuff and yeah like so later he did withdraw his confession before trial before he went for a jury and they were like oh he was interrogated a lot like maybe not but i'm like suffer the children to come unto me what so he withdrew his, his thing his confession and then he went before a jury on september 26th and so the first he actually was tried in front of a jury twice the first one was a hung jury 11 to 1 and then he was i know <laughs> and then is this your foot sorry sorry dad <laughs> leave that in <laughs> Katie was just- I thought it was my foot, but it was Sydney's foot. <laughs> anyway, we have blankets on. It's hard to tell. <laughs> anyway, going back to this horrible thing. So this man was tried in front of a jury, and it was a hung jury. And then he was tried in front of a second jury. Are you listening to me? Yes, I'm paying attention. He was I'm tried sorry. in front of a second jury and was acquitted by November of that year. That was really fast. September 26th, yeah. when he was first, and then November, he was done not only was he tried twice but (laughs) in two months so then apparently he moved around after the trials like new york and different places and no one really knows where he ended up but that's all i have on him specifically but i think that's it i yeah he had reason to be traveling around the midwest like clearly he was traveling around the midwest what are the odds of the day that this man is in town this happens, not happening before. And then to come back and insert yourself. Yeah, into and to it. write letters that you, no one should write letters unless they know if they're a witness or like, and like actually know something. Yeah. Or your family and you're trying to find out information, which you don't have phones really in 1912. So you can't like call, like they do, but like you're not calling the police station trying to find information. I don't know. And I, don't know. Hmm. I just think this guy yeah. did it. Agreed. So now time for the haunting stuff, which is just spooky. And when I watch, so for this part, I listen to, and that's why we drink, which is where I heard a lot of like the main, like typical stuff is happening. And Mm -hmm. then I watched an episode of Ghost Avengers, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it is the weirdest editing ever. (laughs) I made so parts. And then I also watched Kindred Spirits. And I will say some of the connection, like watching those things back to back was crazy to like hear voices and stuff that they caught because it was so creepy but anyway the back like here's like the main haunting and stuff so the house has actually been restored back to how it looked in 1912 so it looks very similar and visitors are able to stay the night all the time but no one really wants to stay alone because people can't make it through the night there no (laughs) and so mostly it's just paranormal investigators and people are like you don't sleep when you go <laughs> tourists have often ended early because lamps or other objects have moved or been thrown like fallen and people quite often hear children's laughter which uh, it's just so creepy i just don't think children would be there i don't know um the earliest reports of hauntings were in the 1930s a couple had moved in and the wife said she woke up in the middle of the night to a shadow of a man with an axe over his head. And she also just kept hearing like children whispering and strange noises throughout the night. And she told her husband, who didn't believe her, shocker, they never do. <laughs> and so he was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And stayed up all night one night, woke her up in the middle and was like, I'm not doing this. I can't stay here anymore. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't know exactly what he heard, yeah. but he was like, I'm done. And so the next day he went into town and was like asking around, trying to like see if anyone knew anything really about the house. And he found 
someone who knew some, like he eventually found someone that knew the Moore family and had had a box of things that belonged to them, including part of Josiah's skull. (laughs) Why do you have that? Because people were just in the house. Did you just pluck it out? I guess so. I know. That person I know. There has issues. <laughs> they just keep it in a box with their things. But anyway. The audacity. <laughs> that couple moved out of the house that night. That night? <laughs> All right, it was close after. They were done. They said, bye-bye. I am not staying here yeah. anymore. Um, another family moved in eventually, and their grandpa, I think, lived with them. He would not stay in there. He built a little place in the barn. Like, he was like, I'm not sleeping <laughs> in that house. <laughs> Um, the front door to the house would also open all the time on its own, which is really creepy because they caught it on ghost adventures, which I'll tell you about it, but the doors open and it would happen even when the doors were locked and they said it would happen all the time. And on, that's why we drink. She was the, whatever she watched that said it was like they would, or whatever she read or something was just like, they would have to get up in the middle of the night all the time to shut the door because it would happen so often i don't like that and they were like we just want to go to sleep (laughs) their door is just opening on its own so then another family moved in in the 1960s which they actually interviewed them on ghost adventures so i'm going to talk about the two girls because they're grown women obviously but honestly that was one of the hardest interviews i've ever watched like they were so shaken up like i don't remember like i've seen the episode obviously but I don't remember anything, but so these two girls and their parents, and I think they had other siblings, but they're not, I don't think they talk about it. Yeah. They do. So they moved in and I guess the girls would be alone in the house a lot. And they said that they would wake up like in the, like almost every single night and hear like children crying and screaming and like they would just hear stuff a lot. And sometimes they would be in their rooms and drawers would open and clothes would be thrown out everywhere. Ooh. Which is just like, what? Like the odd, like a lot of these things are just like, it feels like the crime is happening again yeah like constantly which is just that's crazy why is it replaying so much here i guess because people are coming from all over and the energy is just like that but it's spooky and these girls also one day their dad was sharpening and sharpening a knife just at the kitchen table and somehow it like i'll talk about it because they talked about on ghost adventures but like the knife like turned around and like stabbed him in the hand on its own and he did not remember it happening which like it's so spooky but i'm going to go into more detail yeah. when i actually talk about their interview okay but yeah that happened and it was just like that's insane and so then here's just like general like every family that lived there the things that would happen um almost every single one had like seen a man with an axe like a shadow figure with an axe they would often hear like i said children giggling and whispering they would hear footsteps a lot in like the attic especially doors would open and close on their own Another guy had stabbed himself in the hand. Um, a lot of people would experience like cold air pockets. Like mm-hmm. I never experienced that myself, but Zach Bagan sure does experience it a lot. Feel it right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, they also said that if people would like try and look out the windows, something would like push them away. Like, no, you can't do that. Ooh, like with the curtains yeah, being drawn and like, yeah. ooh. And people have also been like scratched and attacked, which is just like not cool. No, thank but. you. And honestly, on Kindred Spirits, they talk about a really aggressive thing that happened and I'll tell you, but it's just like really scary. Um, spirits are also very responsive in the house. Like if you ask it to open and close the door, it'll do it on command. For, and they also really like the flashlight game. If you don't know what that is, it's like people will have flashlights that are like touch ones or churn, like it's churning a little bit and investigators will like have a flashlight sitting on the edge of something like it could if it's tapped it'll turn on if it's not touched it won't 
and like they'll ask it to use that to communicate yes or no questions but which is a terrible explanation but if you it's do, like you leave the switch like kind of in between yeah and like, and like try and get it to go both ways yeah. but they like that and children ghosts will also play with toys if you bring them like timmy from waverly <laughs> Um, people, if you try to confront the murderer, people will hear like growling and mean noises, which adds up because I don't think this is just the evil person. I think there could be something darker. <laughs> yeah. But, um, people have also brought Ouija boards also. No. I don't know how to spell Ouija because <laughs> like I figured it out after I Googled it because I first spelled it with a Q instead of an O. I was like, why is this not right? I was like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> But I also don't use them, so... No, no, no. But for some reason, it took me forever to figure out how to spell Ouija. People will bring them in, and I heard this on That's Why We Drink, and it was so creepy that I was like, I have to say this. So someone that was investigating, was I think she watched these on YouTube. You guys should go listen to their episode if you want to hear more of these. But, and I think they have like the actual videos linked. But someone... Sorry, I have a hiccup. Someone had... <laughs> Um, a spear box, an EVP recorder, and the Ouija board out. And they were like doing it all at the same time. And they heard and caught the word Dybbuk come through. Yeah. Which, if you don't, that means evil spirit, which Zach Bagans and his haunted museum has two Dybbuk boxes, which are like, if you're, if you open them, they're supposed to unleash like hell on yeah. the world. Like it's so creepy. And so they caught that word. And then I guess other people caught recordings of like an evil voice saying, I will possess you and things like that. Like, I just don't think this is something that people should be messing with. Um, a group that they mentioned on the other podcast was that someone had been recording for like six minutes and caught over 20 EVPs, which is just like, that's a lot. They talk a lot. Like they also really only talk. This is what I gained from watching Kindred Spirits, but they only really communicate if you're being aggressive like Ooh. for the most part yeah just like being nice doesn't really do it like they want you they want to be pushed but also people apparently a lot of like i said like with clothes being thrown out like a lot of people will like capture screams on evps and stuff like as if the murders are being played out but i'm also like people didn't hear They're anything screaming, yeah so i'm like maybe it's what they wish they had been able to do i don't know but they hear a lot of that and yeah anyway that's the end of that part I thought mm -hmm. I had more, but I was just, mm -hmm. it was just what I just said right now. And so then now we're going to move on to Ghost Adventures because we have to do the, the dumb part in the middle, but it's whatever. Um, <laughs> also, okay, we have to talk about this episode really fast because one, I don't usually say go watch Ghost Adventures, but if you want to laugh at the editing, Listen, you should go watch this. I was, wa like, I was researching for my episode across the room from Katie and I suddenly looked up and like had to ask what was going on because there the light from her laptop screen was just like flashing wildly <laughs> okay actually you know what I say go watch this and go watch kindred spirits back to back because it's crazy the stuff that like adds up but it is really creepy and but the editing on the episode it was like if you are epileptic, do not go no, watch this. No, please don't. Because they were like flashing lights. They would take the same image and flip it around a bunch of times with like jagged transitions and they would have axe sounds going. Ch -ch -ch -ch. <laughs> and like, it was so funny. And then they had like Zach coming out of a basement up to that noise. And it was just so funny. He like popped out of the ground at one point yeah. holding an axe. like he was flying. <laughs> But it's really the whole episode is the editing chaotic. is incredible they did that axe thing throughout the whole thing <laughs> and they took so many different shots of like each of them holding an axe in a different pose to edit together <laughs> and they did some group ones <laughs> <laughs> 
But, okay, enough of that. <laughs> I still have a lot I can add to my I don't like Zach Bagans PowerPoint. His hair is so bad in this episode. <laughs> it looks like grass. It always looks like it grass. It does. But. Um, okay, so they did a lot of interviews before mm-hmm. um, investigating, but their interviews were very interesting. So, and I haven't done this on every episode because I haven't watched episodes for every episode that we've done, but I'm going to tell you a lot about this episode because I think it's interesting. I don't ever really want to spoil it, but even if I do, you should listen to it yourselves. But so Zach was interviewing the investigators and a couple of them like worked together sometimes. One didn't, one worked on his own, but some of them had been using a spirit box one day in the house and said, who is with you? And they caught a voice saying Reverend Kelly and you could hear it. Oh, so... That feels pretty damning right there for me. (laughs) And then another guy was, so then they were still doing like more spirit box stuff. And this guy said all of a sudden he felt like he had been hit with like a baseball bat, a bat. And then he was like, everyone like check your backs, like make sure none of us got hit. And that same guy who said to do that and felt like he got hit by a baseball bat had three claw marks on his back. And then they swiped to the right to make a letter L. And they had earlier asked like tell us your name and a voice said legion which is so creepy and left an l on this guy's back and there was a picture of it and it was huge oh gosh yeah so i think they're just messing with demons in this house yeah and because isn't that a thing from the bible yeah it is that's like the pigs in the bible yeah i don't like that no so I think people opened up terrible things in this place and that's what's going on now. And they're using, I think they're using what happened there to draw on people and they're just saying that's that, but it's not, I don't know. It's terrifying. Yeah. So anyway, um, during another interview at the beginning, they were all outside interviewing and they had an ex camera inside and that's when they caught a door slamming on its own. like i was not expecting it because they're like then we caught this inside and at first you do hear footsteps so first you can hear something walking around in there no one else is in the house and then a door swings shut and you and it slams and i was like normally when i see doors close on there i did not ever remember watching that but doors are usually close kind of kind of slowly or quiet like it's never loud that was fast and loud and i was like that's and you hear footsteps like walking up to it yeah it's there but that was really creepy and they said doors close all the time and when they went back up later that door was open so i don't know if when it opened again but it was open the next time they were up there so which they never brought it back up but and then a couple more interviews this is when they talked to those two girls that had lived there with their family so one is linda cloud and her sister, Patty Williamson. So Linda, she talked a lot more. Um, they were all very shaken up, though. But she said when they were little girls, they would hear talking and cr- they heard talking and crying like their first night staying there in their room. You would be like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's- like I would be. That's my nightmare is moving yeah. into a house and then finding out it's haunted day one. Being like, I just bought this place. Like, And if you're a kid and your parents don't believe yeah. you. yeah. Like, I don't think they said they didn't believe her, but it just seemed like a lot. Um, in the middle of Linda's interview, she got very weak and like just had to sit down and she was like upset. And Zach just came like, are you okay to keep going? She's like, yeah, I just, I don't like being in here. Like just, she was oh. still trying to pull mm-hmm. through it. And she just kept saying, she's like, I keep feeling pulled back to this house. Like, and I feel like deep sadness. I feel it here. And I just like, why do haunted places pull you back? Like, cause that's how I feel about Waverly. I'm like, yeah. I want to go back. And like every haunted place I read, it's like people just want to go back. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe I'm hoping that it's like from the, the people that are sad and you can feel that. But sometimes it's, she's, cause yeah. I think Zach asked her like, do you think it's the negative stuff or like, 
the victims. And he, she was like, I'm hoping it's the victims, but yeah. I don't know. Like, it's a lot. So now Patty, this was the one that made it really hard for me. to. I felt really sad. She, from the minute she got in there, was super uneasy, shaking. She did not really, she, like, Zach just kept asking her questions. She, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, would just, like, not yeah. make a word, not say a word. And she, like, said, like, the house scares her, which I get it. Um... She told him that she didn't want to come for the interview, but her sister, like, kept being like, they really want to talk to us. She's like, okay, I'll go. And then, like, she barely talked, and she was, like, trembling. And eventually, Zach was like, do you want to leave? And she was like, mm-hmm. Like, was very... And then he was like, that's... What... He literally was like... Normally, I would say you, but he was like, that's okay, sweetie. Like, you can go outside. And normally, I'd be like, that's really gross, Zach, for you to call <laughs> this woman that. But I think she, like, needed... needed it. And, like... Yeah. And he was like... He felt so bad for her, and she kept going like I'm sorry for the inner like messing up and she was like it's fine like I don't want you to be uncomfortable and like then when he was like talking about like how scared she looked they were like someone had been recording her outside she was like pacing around I think she was having like a full panic attack yeah. like, walking around outside and her sister and Zach like her sister went and got her water and Zach was like trying to comfort her and I was like this is the only nice thing I've ever <laughs> seen this man do but like I've never seen someone so scared yeah the house they lived oh. in like it was a lot but she was very brave for going back in because I don't think I would have gone back in at all. But anyway, then they were talking, the girl, the women were talking about their dad sharpening his knife. And they said they saw it happen. And they said it looked like while he was like doing it, it looked like they could see a pressure on his hand that made it turn around, like forced him to turn around and stab himself. And like, he didn't remember it happening. And I think, I think it only happened once, hopefully, but it's like, I can't imagine seeing your dad cut his hand. Which also, that kind of ties into something that happened on Cringed Spirits, but it's just like, this thing is so violent. Yeah. Like, I don't know. So, then, after they were gone, there's a museum in town that claims to have the actual murder weapon, the actual axe, and, which I thought was interesting because the guy that owns the museum, he's like a detective, no, he's not a detective, some other guy. The guy that owns the museum said that for the trial, they actually didn't use the actual, like, main prosecutor or something had, like, gone somewhere else and bought another axe and used that in the trial, but he's like, I had the actual axe, but I don't know if that's true, but anyway, they brought the actual, quote-unquote, actual murder weapon into the house for the investigation, so that was fun, Uh, (laughs) and then... They invited a detective who wrote a book on the case who was a skeptic. They invited Mm -hmm. him to come in and for like an hour to like listen in. And they're like, we like when a skeptic comes in, like, which I appreciate that they did that. So we know they're not faking it. I don't know if they fake. I don't know. They probably fake stuff, but sometimes i'm sure they do sometimes yeah so they brought in this guy i didn't write his name down sorry to this man i'm sorry to this (laughs) i do not know who he is but so they were doing an evp session nothing happened like the whole time and then right at the end they were doing an evp session i don't even remember what they were saying at the end but then they were like okay let's go out and review this with billy like billy looked bad if anyone watches ghost avengers he looked bad he had a really bad goatee but not that he looks great all the time <laughs> not that any of them look great <laughs> katie is really just roasting tonight. i'm tired <laughs> my filter gone <laughs> but anyways so they take out the audio out to billy and they're like playing it and the detective is the first one to go that sound like he's like i did not hear that sound when we were in there like he was like i heard everything else but i did not hear that and the more they listen to it they bring in the other investigators that are not on their team to listen to it also to like confirm and it literally sounds like someone saying i killed six kids and it and the detective was like that sounds like someone out of breath like had been killed like it's not he's like either out of breath or with asthma that's what the detective said (laughs) and like you can hear like you can hear four words yeah and so it's like he was like yeah i didn't hear that in there like that's weird like and i was like okay if a skeptic can admit that that sounds weird but just like saying i killed 
six kids. But actually, you know, that I said that the door closed earlier, mm -hmm. I'm wrong. So the door that closed earlier, they had been in a house and a door closed in front of them. And then while this thing was happening, while the they heard the I hear I killed six kids, that's when the door that's slammed inside. Okay. Sorry, I totally misread my quote earlier. So they saw a door close earlier and then this happened also. So still really scary either way that they yeah. had multiple doors closed. Sorry for the confusion, everyone. Anyways, if you watch this, you would fact check me anyway, but whatever. So it's there's whatever. more because I just think all of their stuff is so interesting. And I'm really sorry. This evidence is just really good. And I apologize for the time. Hey, we need some longer episodes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Stick around. We're going to go deeper. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Let's keep digging. <laughs> yes. So then everyone else left. It was just like the normal three guys, Zach, Aaron, and Nick. And they were doing a spirit box session inside. And they asked, are you scared of us? And caught a voice going, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like bold either like you could tell they're not scary or it's evil and it's like i'm not afraid of yeah. anybody and then they also asked like tell me what your name is and they caught a woman or a girl's voice and i couldn't tell which one of these two had said because it could have been either but it sounded like lena or ina so it definitely sounded like you could hear the nah like the yeah. nah like at the end so i don't know um and they just kept hearing some kids voices that kind of sound like want to play and they caught another one that said paul which is one of the more yeah. kids and so that was weird and then they went upstairs and caught a deeper voice saying, everyone's fine. <laughs> like, which is like, mm, no, they're are we sure. <laughs> are we sure everyone's fine? And then they asked what the murderer's name was. And they caught a voice, which they said it sounded like Andy, which is the name of the homeless man. But honestly, it could have been Kelly, which sounded more like that to me. And yeah. that makes more sense. So that's what I think. But I think it was George Kelly. Yeah, whatever. agreed. So then <laughs> we're later, solving it. Yeah. Guys, we've solved it. Yes. So then this is where like the stuff really starts this stuff ties into kindred spirits later so zach nick zach and nick sent aaron alone in the cellar <laughs> of, course. of course which zach told him from this moment they got in there he said aaron you're going down to the cellar later tonight <laughs> but zach so zach and nick went upstairs to the attic and zach literally lays on the floor with the axe over him like propped up like if you want to do it you can i've seen yeah <laughs> yeah he's an idiot um he asked the question uh is this the axe that you used to murder eight people and they caught the creature creepiest evp like the creepiest laugh ever going ha 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 but like creepier like sorry i hit my mic it was so creepy like i can't even do it, it was like wispy and raspy and you could very clearly hear ha 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 like Ooh. and that voice is what they catch it, the same voice i swear on kindred spirits yeah multiple times but anyway so then aaron is down in the cellar alone and he was like his whole thing he's like the evil guy's upstairs the kids are down here with me in the cellar well whatever but he's like i'm trying to talk to the kids <laughs> and so he asked who killed you and they caught a voice saying it was very hard to tell but he said that it said they're upstairs which adds up yeah. <laughs> so that one's not as clear i'll give I'll, like i'll tell people if they're skeptical like that one's not as clear and then zach laying down upstairs said why did you kill these children and the same voice as the laugh said something like because they don't step in heaven yet which sounds like something george kelly would have said like every Ooh. reference about heaven like if, if it's not a demon if it is a demon or not like the person that i think would be most connected is george kelly like the only one that would mention yeah that i'm just like that would be have weird like theological ties yeah and, yeah yeah who knows he was a weird traveling preacher i don't trust that man <laughs> so and also while 
Zach was laying there earlier in the interview when they had been interviewing and they were upstairs. He's like, it is so hot up here. He started to get cold while that was happening. And I was like, he always talks about that. But like they said that happens when you're communicating with them. So that's a possible thing. And then when they were leaving, Nick had gone into like the more children's room and he left the room to leave the building on their ex camera after Nick had left the room. You see like a dark mist leaving the room also. It's harder to see, but that happened. So anyway, that was literally like everything that happened. <laughs> There's a couple more things that were like not as interesting, I guess. But Well, maybe if you don't want to l- sit through the editing, you can just skip right through. There, to the, there you go. Yeah. You have everything you needed. And it's interesting. So now we're going to talk about kindred spirits. And this is this first part is what is so like remember when I said that he had another name George Worley so the person that invited kindred spirits to the house was named John Worley spelled exactly this Worley spelled exactly yeah. the same and the man had like investigated he was an amateur investigator and he had investigated the Velisca house and he had like been there with friends and he had caught an evp that scared the crap out of him that literally says just kill john warley which i don't think they're connected but literally the fact that 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 william mansfield went by the name warley also was just weird to yeah. me yeah but the voice that said just kill john warley sounded exactly like the laugh and the like they don't get into heaven or whatever yeah. like the voice is so creepy and it keeps going into the later but so scary so after john worley caught that evp a few months later his brother-in-law and his brother both ended up in comas and his brother-in-law died and while his brother was in a coma his mother-in-law was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer and also died and so he literally blames himself for all of their deaths for no. going into this house which was so sad and i'll just tell you by the end of the episode they brought in chip coffee and he talked to this man and was like no it's not your fault which is like Thank goodness. Good. But it was just like, this poor man. They were like all hugging. They hugged everybody in this episode because they felt so bad for everyone. It was just so scary. So anyway, yeah, that voice sounded exactly like the Ghost Adventures one. And then they went and interviewed a man named Buck. And also this interview, honestly, all the interviews for this will just break your heart because this is like a big grizzly guy who was an investigator and... He had had a lot of health setbacks, but like he kind of had a stutter. I think he had had a stroke. And so he like had a stutter, which is just like, and he just sounded so sad the whole time, but he was telling a story to them. And so for a birthday present, his, I think his mom and his stepdad, like he's a grown man. So it was like older, but they had booked the house for him for a birthday present. And he had really studied the crime scene. So he set the whole house exactly like the crime scene. And then he went in and I think he was laying in the room where the still injured girls had been found. And he was laying on their bed and he had had a knife with him because he didn't have an axe is it the one yes yeah and he was laying there just he was just it's like a hunting knife and he was trying to communicate being nice at first and then he started to provoke and he said he got pretty nasty and then his mom i think was like watching a camera or something and she was like the room is filling with orbs and he said he looked over at the closet and saw like the biggest orb he's ever seen like coming at him and the next thing he remembers is a, the knife in his shoulder which he said I did not do that to myself. And then the next thing here, and then he was screaming and then he doesn't remember anything except for waking up in the hospital later. And this man sounded terrifying. I remember watching this one. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's so sad. And his family captured an EVP at one point saying, don't worry about Buck, we'll get him. But they did not have the audio for that because his mom erased everything, which I honestly probably would too. Yeah, And so- um, Adam and Amy asked Buck, like, what did the, can you describe the voice for us? And he was like, kind of quieter, like a whisper. So they played the John Worley EVP and he got really uncomfortable and he was like, that is it. 
he was like, where did you get that voice? Like, I just got chills saying that. Oh, I that, did too. But, <laughs> like, literally, it is the same thing, saying all of these evil things. Goodness. And I'm like, can you- And, like, knowing their names. And knowing that this creepy. thing attacked you. Like, oh, yeah, no. It, that was so creepy. But anyway, that was the last of them. This man, he literally went back in the house with them. Yeah. And, like- showed them exactly what he did laid on the bed and everything and then he said he felt a lot better after doing because he was like i'm brave i can do it and like i was really impressed and they hugged him and yep. i was like oh my gosh makes me sad but that's the last of the interviews really but i have a couple more things um i wrote side note amy was wearing the same headphones as me for part of the queen <laughs> yeah so but the first time they had gone in the house they hadn't provoked or talked about the murders they just were nice nothing had happened and so then they're like okay we need to provoke now and so adam went alone into the house at first and sat in front of the attic with his back to the doorway and he asked did you do something to this family and he got an evp saying i killed them and he had replayed it out like he had played the audio back and Amy who was listening from the barn was like it says I killed them like she recovered repeating it like she heard it so clearly and then later Amy went back into the attic alone and this time Adam like was sitting downstairs in the house she's like I'm not going in there by myself <laughs> and she started provoking she was calling him out telling, saying like talking to the evil spirit being like you are done here you're done preying on these people and like her last line was like something like that party is over and immediately after they caught a voice saying f you so aggressively like obviously you can't hear it because yeah. they bleep it out but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah they did not like that so that was when at the end they brought in chip coffee mm -hmm. their psychic whom like we said we don't really love psychics but chip is cool so he scares me but he's really a small cool guy love him his glasses i don't know he's so fun he goes on other shows too but anyway, so Chip, he like came in and said that he didn't really feel the victims, but more the person who committed the murders. Yeah. And he said that the guy was calm and he was near the attic and he was like, the guy was, he's like, I just feel the guy sitting here saying, I'll wait as long as it takes like for them to fall asleep. Like that's what he said. And that was like the last oh. like paranormal thing. And then Chip had like went out and sat with, they got John Worley to come in the house, like talk about his experience to brave up and like be brave and like stand up to it and then took him outside did a reading like your family doesn't blame you like it's not your fault like which is just sad but yeah yeah so that was everything that was caught that's the bliska murder house it's a lot Gosh. um it's way creepier than i thought it was going to be but i thought it was fun to do a crime and a yeah haunted but yeah there's just so much to it and i'm sure there's more details that i did not that cover. is okay but i'm just like you guys can dive into that if you really want to yeah I will never be going there. Normally, all these other places I've been like, I would be cool to go see. No. Not this one. I don't really like houses that are haunted. Like I will. There's never something scarier about it because it's meant to be a home. Yeah, and like I will never go to the Sally House. That's um, uh, that's no. the closest to where I live, but I would not do that. And just yeah, no. But houses are just like also you can't really go many places in a house. Like if something's there, I'm like they'll find you real fast. Like yeah, <laughs> if you're in like Waverly, you can you can leave like, exactly. Like you can go somewhere that feels safer, safer. but yeah. there's not far to run in, in the house. house. No, not in that house. <laughs> So anyway, that's the Bliska X murder house. It's um, a wild one. Let us know your thoughts on if you agree with us, who you think yes. killed them. George Kelly, that's who I think. But maybe you think it's someone else. Yeah. Uh, definitely a serial killer. Definitely had to have been yeah. a serial killer. I The mirror thing and the lamps. It's so the, weird. Yeah. yeah. Just the specifics. Yeah. So interesting. Also, one more thing with George Kelly, though. If, with their heads being covered, if he was 
saying he was a Christian, he might have felt bad about, mm-hmm. like, he's like, God told me to do this, but I feel kind of bad about it. I don't know. Can't look mm-hmm. at myself. I don't know. Well, that's just a thought. Wow. Anyways. Well, you should connect with us if you like us. Yes. Follow us on Instagram at something sick podcast or on Twitter at a sick pod a sick podcast. Sorry, I laughed and felt like I said that weird. So us or follow us on TikTok at a. something sick podcast. We have not posted in a while. We should do that. It's fine. Let us know if you have any funny true crime ghost things that we could do on TikTok. Like yeah. A trend. And then send us an email at something sick podcast at gmail.com. Especially if you want a sticker. Yeah. We want to send you stickers. Please. They're really small. They're literally Just so don't small. Add- have small like small expectations yeah. we'll post a picture on our instagram so you could see what they look yeah we'll put something funny next to it for size comparison because a finger so yeah my finger and a ruler anyway anyway well we'll see you next time see ya see ya <laughs> we're gonna be there you'll hear us next yeah. time <laughs> you will listen to us bye homie peace out